Welcome back, humans. Welcome to part five of Theology as a Science. We are on chapter five. And chapter five is called Theology, comma, Faith, and the Magisterium. All right, so to begin this chapter, Latouré says, Without being itself either faith or the magisterium, Theology has vital and many-sided relationships with both. So theology has a relationship with faith, and theology has a relationship with the magisterium. And we've already talked about theology's relationship with faith in some detail. In this chapter, we can talk about it a little bit again, and we're also going to talk about what kind of relationship theology has to the magisterium. First, according to what has already been discussed throughout this book and this podcast, we indicated that faith and theology, while intimately connected, are two different things. Faith is based on trusting in the authority of God. Faith is also believing things even though I don't completely understand them or can't fully explain them. Because I trust the one capital O here, who has revealed them. Theology comes after faith and seeks to better understand that which is already believed. Father Latouré says, The motive of our ascent in faith is the authority of God who reveals. In theology, the motive is the quality of the demonstration. What this means is that faith is believing what God says because of who we believe God is, while theology is motivated by a desire to better explain what God has said and revealed. Right, so I believe what God has said because I believe that God has authority. And then I use theology to better explain what I believe. Next... Latouré says something I think is particularly important. He says, Certainty, therefore, varies in theology according to the value of the arguments. It is even subject to error. In faith, on the other hand, certainty is absolute and irrevocable, based upon the rock of the word of God. Alright, so, God's never going to lie. So my faith in God is absolutely certain. It can't be taken back because God is truth. God does not lie. Theology, on the other hand, seeks to better explain and argue for what I believe. And because we're human, we don't always understand things as well as we think we do, we can argue in error, right? A really famous example, if you've really dug into studying theology in the past, is that Thomas Aquinas, one of the most famous theologians in the Catholic Church, denied that that Mary was immaculately conceived, meaning she was conceived without original sin. He actually said that was not true. But the Church, on the other hand, years later, dogmatically, which means officially, proclaimed that Mary is, in fact, immaculately conceived. So, 
even somebody with as big a brain as Thomas Aquinas could still error, right? And that's just the way theology is. You've got people trying to figure things out, and they make mistakes from time to time. But our faith in God can't error because it's based upon what God has said, and God's not going to lie. God's not going to say something that's incomplete, right? This distinguishing feature between faith and theology really hinges on the fact that faith is based on a person's accepting what God has said simply as God has said it. There is no breakdown, no interpretation, just repeating verbatim what God has said, right? So that's my own wording. If I'm just saying, okay, God told me that he would send his son to die for our sins. I don't really know what that means. I haven't taken the time to figure out what that means, but I know that God said it, and I believe it because God's not going to lie to me. That would be just pure faith. Okay. On the other hand, theology is when humans attempt to use their own reason to unpack what God has said. This can result in as many different interpretations as there are people. Hence why Latteray says that theology is subject to error. So we believe, in point of fact, that God sent his son to die for our sins because God said so. But how did that happen? And why did that happen? And what does that mean for me? What does that mean for the entire world? Answering those questions is theology. And, believe it or not, there are a lot of Christians who have different answers to those questions. Like, why did Jesus die for our sins? How did he die for our sins? What's the point? Could there have been another way? Did he have to die for our sins? Does his death reconcile people who don't believe in him? See, these are the kind of questions that theology asks and that a lot of Christians actually disagree on the answers to. We disagree on how to answer those questions. Right, so theology is a human attempt to unpack what God has said. Right? God says something very simply and plainly, and then we use theology to better understand it and explain it. On that note, we're going to move on to the relationship theology has with the magisterium. Latteray first says that theology and the magisterium both have a common origin and that they both seek to better understand, defend, and explain what we believe about God. However, there are differences between the two. Latteray says they have different functions and gifts. The magisterium's gift was instituted and mandated by Christ to preserve the deposit of faith. Think about how in the Gospels, Jesus breathes on his disciples and tells them to go preach the gospel to every living creature, to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and so on. All of that stuff. Jesus had spent three years with these disciples. And then he tells them, you're going to go out and you're going to share this faith. Everything that I have taught you. This is the deposit of faith. Jesus deposited this faith to his disciples, and then he told them to go and share it. That is the magisterium. It is those individuals whom Christ shared his very self with and then told to go share what they had received with the world. Christ instituted the magisterium. Right? It's right there in the Gospels. 
Now, you may have also heard the magisterium referred to as the teaching authority of the church. It is called that because we believe that everything the magisterium passed on to person after person is what was first received from Christ himself. So Jesus came, he chose these disciples, he spent three years with them, he taught them all sorts of things, and then he told them, go and teach other people. In the meantime, I'm going to go back to heaven. I'm going to go back to my father. Those people he chose to go and do that, passed these things on to others, who then passed it on to others, and so on and so on and so on. They guard this deposit of truth. Right? Jesus told us these certain things, and we just keep repeating those. We don't change them, we don't add to them, we don't subtract from them. We just share what Jesus told us. Right? That's the magisterium. Now, if you're Catholic, the Pope, Cardinals, Bishops, and Priests make up the magisterium. Why? Because Jesus ordained those disciples when he breathed on them. He told them to go and baptize He ordained them in that moment. And they then ordained others, who ordained others, and so on and so on. And he told Peter that he would be leading these disciples, that he would feed the lambs and feed the sheep. And he asked Peter, do you love me more than the rest of these disciples? And he told him that he would build his church on Peter. He said to Peter, you are the rock, right? You are rock. And I will build my church on this rock, meaning you, Peter, right? So we believe that the Pope today is the successor of Peter. And then all of his cardinals, bishops, and priests are the successors of the apostles, the original apostles, right? And what's their function? Just to guard what Jesus had deposited to those original disciples. Don't add to it. Don't subtract from it. Don't change it in any way. Just keep passing it on. We also believe that what the Magisterium has passed on is not some made-up story that everyone thought was so interesting they decided to tell others about it. No. It is coming directly from the God-man, Jesus Christ, who then commanded his disciples to go and tell others. This is why we don't add to it, we don't subtract from it, right? I'm not going to say, oh, well, Jesus said this, but, you know, I don't really agree, so I'm just going to change that up to fit what I believe and then tell people that that's the truth. No, 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 no. You don't do that. If you believe that Jesus is God and that he has the authority of God, you're not going to change the things he says. You can think of this as like a reporter who says, oh, this is a really important story, and I want to get word for word, this person's account. I'm just going to copy down word for word what this person said. That's kind of what's happening here. Jesus said it. I'm going to copy down word for word what he said. And that's what I'm going to pass on to other people. And that's what we believe the magisterium does. All right, back to theology. Latere says, Theology also receives a charism of the spirit adapted to its function in the church. This function is to investigate revelation under the guidance of the Holy Spirit and to bring to the knowledge of the Christian community, and in particular, of the magisterium, the results of its research, so that, through the doctrine taught by the ecclesiastical hierarchy, these results may give light to the whole people of God. 
It's a long quote that basically says, Theology serves the magisterium so the magisterium can teach the people. Right? Theology seeks to better understand and explain what it is that we believe that Jesus said so that we can then teach the people about it. Theologians use their reasoning, guided by and aided by the Holy Spirit, to find ways to explain what God revealed so that they can give this information to the magisterium and to the church as a whole. Then Latteret makes a point. He says he really wants to stress. He says, on the one hand, the gift of the Spirit given to the theologian and to all Christians does not dispense them from submission to the magisterium. On the other hand, fidelity to the magisterium does not mean passiveness and absence of initiative, as if all impulse to research should come from the magisterium. This means that the two should work together. Just because someone studies theology doesn't mean he or she can then ignore the magisterium. Likewise, people shouldn't simply wait for the magisterium to tell them things as if they can't study them on their own. It needs to be a symbiotic relationship. Right? The two work together. Next, Latteret says that theology serves as a mediator between the magisterium and the Christian community. It does this by discerning the signs of the times and understanding what the people need to hear and how they need to hear it. All right, so theology and the magisterium work together to teach the people the faith. And the theologians are not supposed to say, well, I can study this on my own. I don't need to listen to the magisterium. I don't need to share it with the magisterium. We have a word for that. When somebody just starts figuring things out on their own and says, you know, I'm going to ignore what any of these other people say. I'm just going to go do my own thing. We call that Protestantism. Now, there may be some Protestants out there who listen to this and... I don't know if you get angry. I don't know if you disagree with me. I don't know you in particular. I know some would get very angry. But that's the definition of Protestantism. Someone who says, I don't believe the Pope has authority. I don't believe the bishops have authority. I don't believe the priests have authority. I believe that I have authority. That whatever I come to understand is the truth. And I can just go and share that. And I don't have to worry about whether what I'm saying agrees with what these other people said. It doesn't really matter because, you know what, I can read that Bible myself and I can figure it out. Right? That's what Protestantism does, by definition. Yeah. Right, back to what Latteret says. He's talking about discerning the signs of the times and understanding what the people need to hear and how they need to hear it. He says... It listens constantly to the voice of faith as lived by the community, so that it may know its rhythm, its accent, its problems, and so too that it may grasp the orientations which the Holy Spirit creates within the people of God. And here he is quoting Pope Paul the Sixth words to the Theological Congress in Rome in September of 1966. I remember, as I've said before, this book was written in the 1960s. It was written and published in the 1960s. And so he's quoting what was current at the time. The Pope at the time was saying, we need to grasp the orientations which the Holy Spirit creates within the people of God. 
In plain terms, this means that times change and certain things that may not have been an issue before become an issue now. Because of this reality, theology must constantly seek ways to share the faith with the people in ways that are relevant to them. Right? So there may be something that the people really need to hear. There may be something that the people have been asking questions about. And we have to update our teaching. We have to figure out how to explain this. An old example is the Immaculate Conception. Right? St. Thomas Aquinas said that Mary was not immaculately conceived. But in the 1850s, the church studied this and proclaimed that, no, in fact, she is. Right? So the people needed to hear something like that. The people needed to know that Mary was without sin so that they would better accept that Jesus' human nature was also without sin right? because he took that right from his mother. So that's one example. Right? The Holy Spirit creates within the people of God an orientation, something that's moving, something that's changing, something that... Um, we want to we want to better understand as a church community as a whole something that we never really were much concerned with in the past and you know Mary's immaculate conception is one of those things the early church wasn't really worried about that but as the church grew they started to wonder the people started to wonder hmm what what was so special about Mary you know, so the theologians had to study this and find a way to proclaim this to the people. And they had to understand whether or not it was actually true. You know? Another example for today, in 2023, is the issue of sexuality. Now, in 1966, very few people would have been okay with someone transitioning from male to female or vice versa. Today, however... Many people advocate that this is just a normal occurrence. And some people, that's just what they experience and they should be allowed to go from one to the other. In a situation like this, theology is tasked with aiding the magisterium in how the church can continue to share what we believe is written in the Bible and is the truth of God's creation. And we believe that we are made male and female by God's design. And that using science and medical technology to change that is just not what God would want. It is not what God ever intended. So, theologians have spent time trying to figure out how can we present this biblical teaching to the people of today who are doing their best to be sympathetic to another person's experience. And that can be a movement of the Holy Spirit. That desire for sympathy, that desire for understanding and compassion, that can be a movement of the Holy Spirit. You see somebody struggling with something, and you want to help them. You don't want to just tell them, oh, get over it. Oh, it's just in your head. It's a, it's a mental illness. You need to just get over it. We don't always want to say that to people, right? So it's a good thing to want to be compassionate and understanding and make sure everyone feels included. But at the same time, we have to make sure that we are not telling them something that goes against what we believe and goes against God's will. So that's what the church is doing at this time. That's what theologians have been doing for the last decade, I would say. How do we explain this to these people? How do we present 
this truth to people who have good intentions but are straying off the path, right? So that's one function that theology provides to the magisterium. The magisterium is going to teach these people, but it needs theologians to really study it and dig into it and figure out the best possible way to present this to the people based on what's happening in the world today and what the general consensus is. Yeah. What are the people thinking? What are the people needing? What are the people feeling? What are they afraid of? All that kind of stuff. And it changes from time to time. Right? And we always will need theologians to move with it, in a sense. Not just going, oh, well, whatever these people say, we're just going to accept that. No, we listen to what these people say, and we try to figure out how we can align that with what God has revealed to us. All right. To close this chapter... Latteray discusses how it is good for the church to have different people practicing theology and coming up with a variety of viewpoints and opinions. One condition is necessary, though. That is that the theologian works for the good of the people and not only for personal gain. So a theologian shouldn't just want to become really smart and really educated so that other people will say, Wow, you're so smart and educated. No. It's so that you can actually do some good work for the people of God. Also, the magisterium and theology must work together to ensure that what theologians are teaching is not contrary to what Christ first taught. And Latteray is not shy about saying that theologians can make mistakes as well as those within the magisterium. Right, so remember, we got that deposit of faith. We got that one thing that Jesus told us, and we don't want to stray from that. But it's easy to stray from that. It's easy to just start thinking, well, we can do this, and then we can do that, and then, we, and then all of a sudden I realize, wait a minute, this doesn't look anything like what Jesus said. Right? So we got to make sure that we're not straying off too far. And Latteray points out that there have been theologians throughout church history who presented an idea or viewpoint that was resisted by the magisterium for a long time, only to then realize that what the theologian was saying is actually true. Right? This has happened in church history. There have been theologians who said, no, I, I really believe that this is what God was trying to say. This is what God meant. And the magisterium said, no, we don't agree. But then some time passed and more theologians came to say the same thing. And then they really studied it, took time to understand it. And then they realized, you know what, what they're saying is actually true. Right? And again, the Immaculate Conception of Mary is a good example of that. There were those in the magisterium who said, no, nah, we, don't, we don't know if we want to say that because the people might misunderstand it. The people might think that she is a god or a goddess if we say that she's without sin. So uh, we, 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 really, we don't want to say that. right? So there may have been theologians who were presenting them with a very reasonable argument and they just pushed it aside because they weren't sure about how that would be received. And over time, they came to understand that, mm, no, the people need to hear this. Right? This is actually good for them. And this is precisely why the church has councils and congresses and all that kind of stuff. So you hear about the First Vatican Council, 
you hear about Second Vatican Council, you hear about the Council of um, of Chaldea and Trent and all these other councils, and there's congresses that are constantly happening today. The purpose of those councils is for all of these members of the magisterium to come together with the theologians and to just discuss things, right? Discuss some ideas. What do the people need right now? What is it that they're not quite understanding? How do we need to improve our presentation of the faith to them so that they can actually connect with it and understand it? Right? That's the whole point. Okay, overall, the church is full of flawed humans. But this doesn't stop the Holy Spirit from leading us down the right path. Even if we must be redirected from the wrong path time and time again. And it only takes a quick study of the people of Israel in the Old Testament to see how God constantly leads his wayward people back to the truth. That's chapter 5. That is the relationship between theology and faith and the magisterium. Faith is the beginning. I believe in who God is, and I believe that what God says is true. I use theology to better understand that belief and be able to explain that belief. And then the magisterium are just those people that Jesus said, you know what, I'm going to give you this, and I want you to go and share it with others. And I want you to make sure that you're sharing what I have first shared to you. Because, think about it. Have you ever played the telephone game? You start out with one message, and then it gets passed to person, to person, to person. And by the time you get back around to the original giver of the message, what they hear is completely different from what they actually first said. Yeah, we we don't want Jesus to hear what we're saying back to him as something completely distorted from what he originally said, right? We don't want that to happen. But he knew that we tend to do that kind of thing. So he said, you need a group of people that are going to safeguard, that are going to stop misinterpretations. Do they always do that perfectly? No. But the Holy Spirit is always there, as we said to bring them back to the right path, right? And this is why we have to pray for those in the magisterium. We have to pray for them because they're flawed, right? And sometimes they're not really listening to the Holy Spirit, quite frankly. And I'm not just talking about Pope Francis today. Some people might say, oh, Pope Francis done all these horrible things. Look, do a quick study of church history and you will find that there have been a lot of popes who strayed from the path, right? It's not new. So always pray. Always pray for members of the magisterium that they're actually doing what Jesus wants them to do. All right? Pray for me that what I'm doing with this podcast remains true to what Jesus wants from this podcast. And I will be praying for you. And I hope that you have a wonderful day. And God bless.